Before we jump into the show, let's take a moment to hear from Deadly Debbie re her creepy files. I'll let her explain for herself, but I just want to throw in some bullet points of my own first. Elvira-esque, very convincing American accent, does her own synths. Enjoy! Well, hello there, little black kitties of the night. Come and join me, your host, Deadly Debbie, as we go through my creepy files and listen to real-life, strange-but-true stories from people all over the world. Explore the weird and wonderful in my weekly podcast with Deadly Debbie's Creepy Files. That's fun. Now I'm in a good mood. Should we play? Should we play the show? <laughs> Let's play the show. We already recorded okay. it. Let's just listen back. <laughs> Welcome to Super Duper Stitches. The what am I gonna say? Science podcast about Whoa. paranormal stuff. No, that doesn't work. The, po- the, just, the podcast about paranormal things from a science perspective. I don't know. I had an idea that I was gonna just try in different different ways of framing it each time. It was a bad idea. That's Jake. Uh, yeah, he's Wyatt. We're and, sorry. Uh, we're back again. <laughs> We're doing the thing we do, which is talk about spooky and weird stuff and try and examine it with our science backgrounds. And uh, we're doing that again this time with, uh, I mean, I have some stuff I want to talk about before we get into it, but uh, the theme this week is what, like? The theme this week is, I would say, Jake, correct me if I'm wrong, but broadly speaking, cursed, evil, or otherwise spooky objects. Cool. That was the way I interpreted the prompt, so that sounds good. Something we've talked about before, but uh, as with all good podcasts... There is no shortage of rehashing topics. <laughs> yep. My partner and I, we stopped for an overnight at an Airbnb in Ithaca, New York. The place was great, and I debated providing the actual location as a kind of promo in this little statement, but uh, who cares? They're not paying Long story us. short, it was comfy sort of home yoga studio type space turned micro apartment. Ooh. And as with all nicely equipped Airbnbs came with what I'm going to call a bedroom armoire pantry, <laughs> which is, of course, from the outside, a freestanding closet for clothes, but inside <laughs> contains an electric water heater, mini fridge, and a few pieces of tableware and coffee prep stuff. Oh, my God. <laughs> so, so far, so good. So it was like a small Narnia. Yes. <laughs> smart Narnia. Anyway, this particular armoire pantry also came with a completely... 100% cursed, straight-from-hell evil teddy bear. <laughs> it's horrible. Oh, my God, this fucking thing. I sent Jake the picture. Uh, we can look again, I suppose. Yeah, well, I'm going to open our text chain just to see that. I did save the picture thinking I might post it, but um, then I forgot that I saved it, so when I opened my photos app... <laughs> were you like, ah! Yeah, every time I was like, oh, Jesus <laughs> Christ. Totally evil teddy bear. It was stuffed away in an upper shelf of this armoire. It's kind of crammed uh, in there. My suspicion being, because it is so horrifying looking, Mm -hmm. that the host couple did not want it in the main house, but also knew that any gesture towards actually throwing it away would mean certain death. (laughs) Exactly. Even though we're not doing it for the main episode content, I think this bear should be the thumbnail for this episode. Oh, 100%. (laughs) And if you haven't seen it and somehow didn't look at the thumbnail, just for a description for listeners, this is a gross brown, correct me if I'm wrong, Jake, old-ass-looking teddy bear with articulating joints and the kind of glowing red eyes. eye buttons that make you wonder why, how, and who, and where, and when. <laughs> Specifically, why was this made? How was it actually used? <laughs> who would do such a thing? Where is their undoubtedly mangled body now? And when will I be killed by this bear? <laughs> 
I got a text from you that said, we're at an Airbnb, and this is the pantry armoire. If you never hear from me again, you'll know why. And then it was a picture <laughs> of the bear, and then a closer picture of the bear. And I didn't hear from you for a while. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. I'm very happy to say nothing happened. Yet. Yet. Yeah, really. It takes a long time for a bear to walk from Ithaca to uh, Western Mass. <laughs> On its tiny little evil bear legs, but there you go. We're back on the topic of very spooky, evil-seeming objects. Mm -hmm. We already talked about Annabelle and Robert, two of the more well-known spooky objets <laughs> We later talked about a weird wooden idol found in the woods called the Crone, and then you talked That's about some right. awful paintings. <laughs> Sorry, go on. And you talked about some awful paintings. Oh my god, those cursed ass paintings. Mm -hmm. Jesus. Effing C. Their asses were cursed. Ooh. Um, before we jump into this stuff, it is an odd number episode, so you will be first. But before I let you go with it, uh, I do have a little something I wanted to, uh, to update you on. And it begins Ooh. like this. Dear Mr. Strickler... <laughs> Oh, go on, please. I just discovered your website because periodically I Google Chicago Shadow and Chicago Flying Black Shadow because of what I witnessed in 2007. So we're talking about the Phantom of the Chicago. Oh. <laughs> Thank you for your contribution. Um, for folks who are not familiar, haven't listened to the show before, and are still listening for some reason now, the Phantom of the Chicago is the name we have given to the uh, various sightings of creepy flying humanoid giant bat-like monsters with glowing red eyes in the general Chicagoland area for the past several years. And uh, it's weird. It's pretty great. It is. Um, it's not eagles. It's definitely not eagles. That would be too actually the case. Um, <laughs> it's funny because it, it started out, if you want to get the full blast of what all this is, most episodes of the show do contain some updates on it, but really episode two is where I first discovered it, talked about it at length, and could not believe how much of it there is. It just kept going. Really all 2017. But um, since then, people have... Because it's, yeah, kind of a, a self-snowballing effect where people heard about the stories of it and then decided, oh, this thing I thought I saw seems similar and added to it. So right. this is one of those because it happened in 2007. She said, I live in Malta, EU now, but I will never forget what I encountered. It may be of interest for your research, so I'm going to share with you in hopes that maybe you'll have an idea of what it was that I saw. In late August of 2007, at night around 12.40 a.m., my ex-fiancé and I arrived home at 2244 West Erie Street in Chicago's Ukrainian Village. Jonathan, feel free to tell us where that is. Uh, we parked the car in, um, in the garage behind our house, exited the door leading to the backyard, deck, and back door of the house. We were standing on the stairs of the deck, unlocking the door. My fiancé was in front of me, unlocking the door, when I got this strange feeling of something very dark and negative. Mm. So I looked behind me, toward the yard and garage, half expecting to see a person that meant, to, um, that meant us harm. Mm -hmm. Instead, I saw an indescriptive black blur fly across my yard. Hmm. It was approximately three to four foot long and two foot wide. Okay. Uh, here's something that's been really bothering me I want to just cut in here. Uh, it's... In almost 100% of the cases on Lon's website, when people describe a linear dimension in English units, they use foot as the plural of foot. It's, <laughs> it's such a weirdly consistent thing across phantomsandmonsters.com. Uh, I just wanted to complain about it briefly. Anyway, keep going. It was flying so fast that it literally looked like a shadow or charcoal smudge. It flew over my neighbor's fence, across my yard, about three to four feet above the ground. Uh, there you go. Feet, that's better. Uh, and over my other neighbor's fence and kept going. Ow. Ow. <laughs> it was a very dark night and it was flying so fast that I couldn't see how far it went nor any defining details as to what it was. I can only tell you that whatever it was, it had a very dark negative energy that gave me a very bad feeling even before it arrived. My gut reaction in the split second moment was, oh my god, a vampire. Then I frantically told my fiance, get in the house, get in the house, get in the house. We got inside and I locked the door and I went to watch the yard out of the window. I was terrified. Never saw it again, whatever it was. I don't even believe in vampires, but that was my gut reaction and the darkness that I felt. I hope uh, my account helps you with any investigations you're doing. 
Please, if you're if you have any idea of what it could have been that I saw, please tell me. Thank you, CR. Um, they need to go camping more. I think so. <laughs> camping required, I believe, is what CR stands for. <laughs> uh, yeah, it's bird. It's bird. It's night bird. In this case, definitely bird. We've had some instances where it's like, oh, this is just a full-on horror movie scenario. This one's like, ah, oh, it's a bird. Nightbird go swoop, <laughs> as they say. So that is my update on the Phantom of the Chicago for this week. Nice. Now, Mr. Shell, please feel free to... I'm oh, sorry, Mr. Dr. Shell, please feel free to take it away. Ah, thank you, thank you. <laughs> I was about to be like, I'm out of here. Ah, <laughs> uh, yes. So, we talked about dolls before. I've got one more for you today. It's a quickie. Mm-hmm. Really, two more. A quick story and then a little... Fun traips into Elmo territory. Oh. Have you ever heard of Harold the doll? Is he the Florida friggin' creepy guy? Maybe. I don't know. He's creepy. He's looks like, is it like a sailor suit or something? That's Robert. That's oh, Robert it's Robert. Okay, yeah, then I don't know who Harold is. Uh, Isn't Harold, Harold is the name what... of the scarecrow from that scary story to tell in the dark? Yes, that is true. Okay. That is true. I think that's why the name sounded familiar. Yes. Ugh, um, so and Harold is Robert's brother. <laughs> there you go. It's also, um, I must say, one of uh, among my least favorite thumbnails for episodes that we have is Harold, that scarecrow. Yeah, there you go. Yeah, no, that's a that's a good it's a good pull. Um, to save everyone time, from what I can deduce from my limited research, it an evil doll. <laughs> but in looking for a publicly available version of Harold's tale uh, that stretched beyond basically that sentence. <laughs> I arrived instead at the promotional weblog of the author of the book, Harold the Haunted Doll, (laughs) featuring a sneak peek of the book itself. And just to be clear, if it wasn't abundantly obvious, this is just a bit of fun. The author (laughs) of this book, Anthony Quinata, seems like a nice enough guy. Hard to tell whether he really buys the sauce he's selling or not, but in any case, we're just having a laugh. (laughs) And incidentally, promoting... His goofy book <laughs> while we're at it. So, so really, he should be thanking us. In he's welcome. Exactly. <laughs> yeah. So whether we find ourselves enticed or not, this book currently holds a commanding 4.19 stars out of five on Goodreads. That's not actually bad. Out of 42 ratings, a higher score even than Herman Melville's Moby Dick at 3.51 rated the most book of all time. <laughs> It also boasts nine generally glowing reviews in the form of short poems such as What an interesting book to read was a brilliant read so have given the book five stars excellent read indeed <laughs> and testimonials from hardened pros closer to the field such as quote as I collect all kinds of dolls I wanted to read this I have to say the whole thing left me feeling unsettled okay freaked out <laughs> i'm sad that listeners can't get your body language with your line reads here <laughs> so this was by a person who gave the book a somewhat damning three stars oh so let's take a peek at the cover Ugh, i hate to send this alongside the other pictures but so oh god <laughs> also i clicked on it to expand it it didn't actually get any bigger but it did make the entire <laughs> It made yeah. the same size in the middle of the screen, but the entire background of the entire browser is just a larger, blurrier version of the same <laughs> thing, and I hate it. There you go. Uh. Anyway, <laughs> the cover is uh, the word, the name Harold in a, a kind of implacable font. Yeah, the graphic design choices here are interesting. They are... They say to me something along the lines of self-published. That would be the phrase. So yeah, take a peek at the forward. Warning. <laughs> the story you're about to read is true it is based on real events my personal experiences since winning ebay's most infamous haunted doll in an auction in june of 2004 as well as what has happened to those who have had encounters with the doll i've also adapted the texts and facebook messages of those claiming to have been affected by the doll many of the names have been changed to protect the privacy of those involved a number of people have stated having had adverse reactions simply by looking at a picture of the doll. I just had an adverse reaction for sure. You had an adverse reaction? Yeah. Looking at a picture, reading my blog, or posts I've written on Facebook. 
Hmm. Two of three of those things is you. Not everyone has, of course. But I feel I must warn you in advance that I cannot be held responsible if you are affected physically, mentally, or emotionally from reading this book. Forward. If you have ever researched or looked into haunted dolls on the web, chances are you have come across Haunted Harold. With that being said, Harold has an extensive history. The doll was manufactured around the turn of the century and is made of composite particles, plaster, and water. You pick it up and it just sloshes around inside like, ugh. <laughs> yeah. It's a doll-shaped water bottle. <laughs> oh, God. You can that tell might be the worse, doll- actually. <laughs> That'd be so much worse. Oh. You can tell the doll has been, and forgive my pun, through hell and back. The doll has been owned by people around the world. All of the previous owners have reported strange occurrences, such as voices, slight movement, and changes in facial expression. Not clear if of the doll or themselves. Yeah. Headaches, migraines, back pain, and unexplained injuries. Well, that part is the doll for sure. Yeah. <laughs> I think the doll has a headache. <laughs> yeah, look at it. It looks miserable. The doll has also been blamed for the death of two people. Oh, God. The doll being responsible for these deaths is still up to speculation. The truth may never be known, ellipsis. Maybe the doll was a murder weapon. I was just beat someone else to death with the doll. <laughs> yeah. Harold's current owner, at no point did they... Okay, they only referred to Harold once. They just keep saying the doll. Harold's current owner, Anthony Quinata, bought the doll on eBay in 2004. Let us never forget. After experiencing some paranormal activity, Anthony put the doll in storage from 2005 to 2013. We were contacted by Anthony to provide an understanding of what type of entity inhabits the doll. Mm -hmm. After an initial interview, we decided to go to an undisclosed location and perform an EVP slash ovalus session. Hmm? During the investigation, we'll get to that in a sec, the ovalus had numerous hits on the words worry and guilt. Our EVP picked up on many different voices accompanied by screaming and laughter. So for folks at home, EVP, electronic voice phenomenon, am I wrong? Mm-hmm. Uh, no, you're this not. Is, uh, this is a classic breeding ground for audio pareidolia where you basically record gobbledygook environmental nonsense and then you're like, look, it said get out of the house. I've looked before to the episode of SciShow that I wrote that's about uh, scientific explanations for hauntings in which I got to make my own EVP as an example. I'll actually try and upload the EVP itself to our website and just link to that specifically uh, as an example. If it is actually totally just environmental noise, I think I had a fan on and pointed a microphone at the fan and me rubbing my hand on um, a couch. So it's just totally random, just kind of white noise but if you listen to it you might think it says get out steak mcgillicuddy oh yeah get out i mean yeah (laughs) um that's super cool jake thank you that would be perfection um and if you think evp is silly (laughs) for anyone like myself who does not know what an ovalus is jake sounds like you don't either it is a mechanical device created by a Bill Chapel, which works by measuring temperature and electromagnetic fields in the space around it, ostensibly. So where can I get a Bill Chapel? Uh, you can't afford it. Variations in these readings cause it to speak words, thereby allowing the, the incorporeal to speak. Mm. So that's the premise, basically, that ghosts or disembodied entities are only really able to affect sort of the energetic field hmm. in space. And so they can do this around the ovalus. And in doing so, they can sort of use it as their vocal cords and tongue to shape words using electricity. Huh. Uh, but basically, as you might have guessed, it's a big self-duping toy. Yes. Um, I found a video of a nice guy unboxing and demoing an ovalus for its various features, of which the voice detection thing is just one. Let's listen to the abundant activity in his house. And then we'll go into the one that's the controversial, probably most, which is the dictionary mode. Why? Medic. Okay. Correct. Medicine. Do. <laughs> Action. As soon as I turn this on, I'm getting all kinds of activity. 
um, people. <laughs> I don't know what what the activity is from. Um, it's almost so, as though it's coming from just the machine go. spitting stuff out. Uh, so even the guy himself is like, okay. <laughs> anyway, that's what was happening, and they apparently got the words worry and guilt. Mm. Whoa. The doll got how many hits with the thing? Numerous. Num oh, okay. <laughs> so I'm curious how many different words they got, and then finally they picked out worry and guilt. I was like, oh, yeah, those exactly. sound like they could be related to a ghost. Applesauce. Hamster. Drive. Worry. Hand. Car. Beer. <laughs> Paperclip. Guilt. Oh my god, it's haunted. It said car. <laughs> While reviewing a short EVP session we conducted on our first meeting with Harold, our lead investigator became ill. Mm. Plagued with a migraine headache, severe lower back pain, and the feeling of being disorientated, the investigator had reason to believe he was being attacked. After our lead recovered, it was decided to delay the release of our evidence that was collected on Harold. For some reason. <laughs> it was also determined not to further pursue any other investigations with Harold and Anthony at this time. Mm. At that time. There is reason to believe the doll is inhabited by many spirits. Due to the evidence collected, we believe there is a malevolent entity that may be attached to the doll, disguising itself as many spirits. <sighs> Anthony was informed of our findings, and we wish him the best of luck with Harold. Hopefully, Harold will find his peace. Lockdown Paranormal. Um, hmm. Classic, spooky, gobbledygook. <laughs> they got some very limited evidence, and then they made some very, very big conclusions. I mean, clearly a promo. I think Anthony's a nice guy. I've seen videos with him in them. I think he may or may not be convinced of the situation at hand. Uh, in either case, he kind of seems just like a nice enough guy. I don't want to really like dig on him too hard here. Clearly, he's just trying to make a buck off of his doll. Can't blame him. Wish him the best. <laughs> but I have a couple more bonus points to support <laughs> the case that dolls are obviously pure evil. Oh, the Elmo stuff. The Elmo stuff. Oh, God. So have you heard about any of these? If I just say Elmo stuff in general? I maybe is it to do with tickle me Elmos? Was it no, the not voice? quite. Okay, sort then, of kind of though. Yeah, I'm not too sure. I'm guessing it's some kind of voice activated or has a voice type of thing. Have you heard of Kill James Elmo? <laughs> no. <laughs> <laughs> so back in 2008, a story surfaces about a Florida family, obviously, and it struggles with an Elmo knows your name doll. Oh. So a pretty freaky name to begin with. Elmo knows what you did last summer, doll. Yeah, exactly. Uh, after replacing the batteries of an Elmo Knows Your Name stuffed toy, the mother of two-year-old James Bowman claimed that it suddenly started saying, Kill James. <laughs> Melissa Bowman of Lithia, Florida, reported, It's not something that really you would think would ever come out of a toy, but once I heard, I was just kind of distraught. Fisher Price, the manufacturer, said that Bowen would get a voucher for a replacement doll and would investigate <laughs> the model to see whether other dolls had the same malfunction. And yes, there is a recording from a newsreel. Ooh. Everyone's going to be talking about this this weekend. A mother changes the batteries on her son's talking Elmo doll and is stunned to hear what comes out of its mouth. You will be too. Kill James. Kill James. <laughs> That's right. The Elmo doll is saying, kill James. That's the name of the boy who owns the Elmo Knows Your Name doll. You plug it into the computer so it will repeat the child's name. Well, the doll ran out of battery, so the mom replaced them. That's when it started making death threats. <laughs> so there's that one. And one more bonus Elmo tale. Way back even further in January of 2006, Potty Time with Elmo, also upsetting, a book with sound buttons designed to help toddlers learn how to use the bathroom. Uh, I was going to say, is it just party time with Elmo, but in eastern Massachusetts? Party time. <laughs> What's your problem, Elmo? I like that you're from Massachusetts and can't do a Massachusetts I accent. can't do Massachusetts. <laughs> well, I'm western Mass. That's, That's true. You don't have the horribleness of the Those are the, the slovenly coastal. heathens out in east Mass. <laughs> Um. So, by the way, you, hi Amy. Thank you for sending those emails to us. We <laughs> yeah. are glad you're listening. We hope you're having a great time on the coast. She knows. She knows her problems. <laughs> <laughs> uh, 
So right, book with buttons. You push the button, it almost says something cute. For instance, one of the buttons was meant to say something to the effect of, uh-oh, who has to go? But a number of the books featured buttons that instead said, uh-oh, who wants to die? <laughs> oh, God. Um, apparently, some of the book sound files compressed improperly. The book was reissued in 2008. Obviously, a year in which they got their books right, but the dolls wrong. <laughs> <laughs> um and those books replace the controversial audio and yes i am delighted to announce that we collectively do have this on audio record <laughs> via another news clip which i will now play excellent <laughs> brian martin is with us now brian what is the problem with potty time with elmo we actually have the book and of course we all with small children recognize this little guy right here this little red <laughs> friend doesn't. is elmo of course he's the latest you know sesame street character this is elmo's latest the book latest it's obviously sesame called street potty character? time Come with on, elmo <laughs> you push the buttons yeah really neat he likes to talk to everybody but he does say some phrases though that toddlers probably shouldn't be hearing let's try and use the potty <laughs> Kids know who he is, <laughs> and they know these sounds. But in some copies Shattering of this toilet drink book, it's <laughs> this one button that has parents asking what happened. Here's what Elmo is supposed to say. <laughs> but several books came with this sound instead. <laughs> Elmo laughs, ha ha ha, and then he says, who wants to die? <laughs> So, hilarious clips, and I've been having some fun with these stories. Obviously, dolls are creepy. And it's both upsetting and hilarious when audio, pareidolia, and other mishaps produce such nefarious-sounding <laughs> quotes. Mm -hmm. My official opinion, and I'm sure I speak for both of us, is, of course, that these are happenstance misfortunes. But I do want to make a light case in defense of the folks who experience these dolls firsthand, be they Harold's. Annabelle's, Roberts, or Elmo's. Uh, I think it's not so obvious that there's just some technical difficulty with a child's toy or some scary tale associated with a spooky-looking doll when you mm. believe yourself to be experiencing something weird. In the case of the legendarily cursed or haunted items, it's the influence of our old friend Priming, of course. Mm -hmm. But it goes one step further in that you have a tangible, objectively real representative totem for spookiness True. right there in your house yes whether you believe the story or not what it's talking about is literally there in the room with you mm. and so much like the 100 percent evil teddy bear <laughs> that i spent a night with in ithaca it basically takes only a tiny bit of good lighting and a slight nudge to encourage the sensation that things are not right and that's totally understandable even if at the end of the day you can rest assured no doll will ever kill you unless it is dropped from a great height and <laughs> lands on your dick <laughs> so hard that you die <laughs> you explode <laughs> no of course i'm you know what i'm saying <laughs> <laughs> you get it whatever yeah, yeah. <laughs> well thank you for that segment mr dr shell yeah i i really like that last elmo because the elmo voice is so specific and to hear i mean yeah and, and those little toys that they to be able to store the audio in something like that, the compression on the audio file is crazy. So it gets really, really garbled sounding, which makes it much easier to not be able to make out what it's saying. But it sounds like, uh-oh, who wants to die? It's too, it's amazing. It does uh, kind of feel like they wrote it wrong or something. I kind of wish that someone working there just like programmed in the Tears in Rain monologue from Blade Runner. Oh my God. All these moments me. will pass like tears in rain. Time to die. You have reminded me, if you will indulge me in a quick tangent, one of my favorite memes I've recently seen, which was they shopped Papa John himself, his face, onto the body of... Um, Roy Batty? Yes. And, he, and the quote <laughs> caption is just... I've seen pizzas you people wouldn't believe. <laughs> and it may be one of the best memes I've seen in a long time. The combination of so much like narrative energy. <laughs> it's amazing. Um, before we move on to anything else, uh, I do think we should 
thank some people who helped make this show possible. And for starters, oh, yeah. I think I'll fire up the old NC AAA device. Turn it on right oh, now. Yeah. There it is. And we will thank a patron for helping support the show with their patron money. Patron Appreciation Neural Diver Evaluation of Risk Function. Mm-hmm. A.K.A. Pandare. Yeah, when we plug in these these kind of weird tendril slash cord things into our brains, uh, that allows us to uh, interface with this arcane computer and calculate what creature, cryptid, whatever it is in the world that our patrons on Patreon should be personally looking out for. Oh, yeah. Today, we're going to be calculating the cryptid for Jane, Jane Blackshaw. Blackshaw. Jane, you need to watch out for the cockatrice. cockatrice. This is a very fun one, actually. I've heard of this one before. Um, it's a legendary creature resembling a large rooster with a lizard-like tail, an ornament in the drama and poetry of the Elizabethans, as Lawrence Briner described it. <laughs> the cockatrice, which on one ever saw... What? I don't know. <laughs> was born by accident at the end of the 12th century and died in the middle of the 17th, a victim of the new science. <laughs> it's thought that a uh, a rooster egg, a rooster like laying an egg, would hatch a cockatrice. Ah. Um, so if a rooster lays an egg, that would be the thing. So if if a rooster lays an egg, you should toss the egg over the house so that it lands on the other side, um, without allowing it to hit the house, and that'll prevent it from being um, born a cockatrice, which if you just smash the egg, it also will not grow up to hatch. It's true. But, uh, you know. But it might instantly hatch. I believe this is the origin of egging a person's house as well. Yes. In the hopes that one of the eggs would be a cockatrice and burn slash terrorize the house to the ground. Yes. Um, but it looks like a weird kind of uh, dragon slash rooster combo. And uh, Jane, just, uh, you know, if you have, if, I don't know if you raise chickens or not. If you do. Should one yeah. of your roosters lay an egg, just, uh, you know, throw it as far as you can out of your house. Or even cook that bad boy up and eat it. Then you may be at risk of pooping a cockatrice. And that just may be news. even worse. I don't know. I think that was part of the plot line for the story Dreamcatcher by Stephen King. <laughs> <laughs> so also for additional safety, avoid reading Dreamcatcher by Stephen King. <laughs> And thank you so much for your support on Patreon. We appreciate it very much. We love you. We appreciate everyone who has has thrown support our way to help us make this goofy-ass show. Uh, For even just a dollar, you can have your cryptid creature whatever calculated for you on the show. Above and beyond that, you can also get some digital rewards, uh, you know, bonus content in that form, as well as physical rewards in the form of exclusive stickers that no one else can get as well as uh merch Herba, discounts Herba. pretty fun speaking of merch i do want to mention i don't even think i've told you yet i don't know but i have uh brought back the jeff uh merch to our store what? it was a limited release thing just for the month of october hoping that, that would make people want to buy it it did not happen um but it is also one of my favorite designs we've ever had so I was like fuck it it's back and so we will beat you is. with attrition Yes. But yeah, if you want to help support the show, it's something you can you can support us on Patreon. You can buy some of our shit, superduperstitions.com slash shop or superduperstitions.com slash no wait, patreon.com slash superduperstitions for the uh for the go. Patreon <laughs> part. And um otherwise we're just so glad that you listen. Yeah, uh, thank you guys so much. Yeah. Let's also thank the uh the beer I'm drinking. <laughs> Ooh. Thanks, beer. Thank you so much, Beer. That, of course, is a small but not so small anymore little brewery in Western Mass. I'd like to say it's probably thanks to us that their growth is so precipitous. <laughs> yes. One, of course, that pours ingredients such as Dungeons and Dragons, loud music, and alcohol into a big old tube. <laughs> Pulls a few levers. And at the and other makes end. come out the other end a certain kind of fluid that, Jake, I recall you having a pretty crazy name for. Beer. Whoa. That, of course, is Four Phantoms, a very rad and very awesomely delicious brewery in Western Mass. If you're in the New England area, considering a purchase of a brewed beverage, consider buying Four Four Phantoms. Phantoms. 
Uh, right now, you can get their uh, seasonal versions. They have each. They have different uh, recurring, like se- year-round varieties, but they have seasonal versions of each. Um, you can get the season, like the winter versions of Dirtweed Double IPA, which I am drinking right now, and forgetting just how much I fucking love this IPA. It's really good. Dirtweed is one of the best IPAs in existence. And I, you know, I should give a caveat that ninety percent of the beer I have consumed in the last calendar year has been. From Four Phantoms, because <laughs> Drew so kindly sends us the beer that we are sponsored by, and I have only so much refrigerator space, and mostly just drink beer when we record the podcast, <laughs> but um, it hasn't skewed my idea of what beers in general taste like. I've just gotten to the point where, like, I fucking love this IPA. It's great. For me, it's the opposite. When I first tried these beers, I hated them, but now through <laughs> Stockholm Syndrome... I am in love with my captors. It is true. I am lucky that I am in Minneapolis. Wyatt is in Western Mass and is at gunpoint every single time we talk about this. I, full disclosure, have been living in Drew's basement, surviving essentially off of Four Phantoms beer. Which is also, in its own way, a thing to recommend them. You can survive on Four (laughs) Phantoms. (laughs) They contain... 100% 100% of 75% of what the body needs to function correctly. <laughs> yes. Other seasonal offerings, they have uh, the winter version of uh, Worship Doom Imperial Stout. I actually finally did get to try. I got a couple cans of the uh, Blood Orange Sour. Bite back. Bite back, and it is tasty as hell. I, hella good. Hella I good. really like how Four Phantoms does sours. Uh, people do sours different ways. Sometimes it's really hard in the tart. Sometimes it's really hard in the sweet. They have the perfect balance of both, I feel like, and it's just a very enjoyable beverage. Agreed. They also, for folks who want to try a much more technical form of beer, they now have in their shop online, you don't have to even go to the store to buy these, a set of beers, one called Four Phantoms Logo (laughs) T-shirt, another called Four Phantoms Logo Zip Hoodie, and then some koozies, which is pretty dope. (laughs) Yes. Fun logo, sweet merch. Check them out. Absolutely. And uh, pretty soon, you'll be able to check them out in person. I mean, it's going to be a combination of factors. One is them getting set up, and the other is the pandemic ending. But uh, you know, if you want to get the beer now, you can go to most places that sell beer in Massachusetts and Rhode Island. You can find Four Phantoms there. Uh, we always have links to how you can contact them for a curbside pickup as well. But pretty soon, they have an actual brick-and-mortar location that you can actually get. <laughs> stuff We're talking brick. <laughs> We're talking, We're talking more. <laughs> We're talking Greenboro. Is that the name of the town? Greenway? Greenfield. Greenfield. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> we'll have more updates on that as the story unfolds. But for now, you can look forward to some cool stuff happening in the near future. And uh, in the meantime, amazing. try and get the beer if you can. Uh, and in any case, please do consider leaving them a nice review on uh, Untapped because that can help. Yes, indeed. And in the meantime, thank you so much for our Phantoms. We love you. And we'll see you next time. Back to the show. I almost said bye. I was like, wait, no, that show's not over. Um, <laughs> so, Jake, what are you talking about? For this week, I have a story from Ralph at the gypsythread.org. Another Ralph? Yep. It's about the Bassano vase. Are you familiar with the Bassano vase? Isn't that like the lowest octave that a woodwind can get to or whatever for like instruments? Oh, there's Bassano contra vase, so there's a little bit lower. <laughs> there it is. Okay. Um, I do want to just say from reading this a little bit on there, you know, people have like an author blurb at the end of uh, a thing. Ralph does describe himself as quote a master of vocabulary and word use with a writing style that gives his works their own life, often giving his readers just enough information that they end up doing additional research on his subject matter. So this is obviously going to be some top shelf stuff. And a top shelf. The best writers describe how good they are. Yes, this can only mean one thing: liberal use of semicolons. Um. So I'll get into his uh, his article. He says, "The Bassano vase is a curiously strange tale. Surrounded in death, the vase was considered cursed by those who possessed it, but seemingly cursed without explanation. In fact, no one really understands how or why it became so powerful." or where the curse originated from. Also, unlike other haunted and cursed objects, the Bassano vase isn't available for scrutiny. In fact, its whereabouts are unknown. 
There are no direct eyewitness accounts of the problematic vase, only stories of its deadly power. Wow. From what is commonly known, the vase was simply uh, was a simple silver design weighing approximately four pounds, or about, I guess, like two kilograms, a little less than, and was crafted sometime during the 15th century as a wedding gift. It's been listed on multiple websites as one of the most haunted objects known to mankind. But the lack of details on the origin of the vase continued to perplex even the most diligent students of the paranormal. Uh, the earliest account of the vase dates back to the 15th, 15th century in a small town north of Napoli, or Naples, Italy. The legend states that the, uh, the vase was given to a young bride on the night before her wedding, perhaps as a gift of good fortune, or perhaps something more sinister. I don't know what that would mean, but uh, unfortunately the young woman never <laughs> made it to her own wedding. She was discovered dead the next morning. Some say it was murder, while others have no explanation. It's likely that the latter that the latter has more credibility since there are no records of a murder investigation. I don't know how many records there would be Safe of old. murder investigations in the 1400s, but, you know, maybe. Uh, the murder angle isn't always part of the story, but it will be examined as we review the stories. Little information has survived about the bride-to-be or her suitor, including their names. Soon after the young, young woman was interred, the Bassano vase was given to another family member, who sadly also perished shortly after receiving it. It was once again passed to Whoa. another family member with the same unfortunate ending, another quick death almost immediately after taking possession of the vase. Huh. So not a good time with the vase. Bad time so far, yeah. Yeah. The family soon came to the understanding after like five or six people died, like, oh, maybe this vase is bad. Um, <laughs> soon came to the understanding that the vase was cursed and connected to death somehow, and they had it hidden away. There are several claims on how it was hidden away. Some say it was buried, while others speak of it being hidden by a priest, presumably in a church or other holy resting place. Both versions could be true, for the tale takes an abrupt hiatus for hundreds of years. What happened from the time the family decided to part with the Bassano vase permanently and its much later rediscovery is unknown. Hmm. The Bassano vase remained hidden until it resurfaced in 1988, bringing more hardship and death along with it. Were you born in 87 or 88? 88, baby. They poured me out of that bad boy. <laughs> Gross. <laughs> um, the tale of the rediscovery tells how it was found by an unsuspecting young man who had it dug up somewhere... Again, there is much frustration about the lack of specific details on locations and names. Some say his yard, while other variations simply skip over the geography. It's also been said that the Bassano vase was buried with a note that stated, Beware, this vase brings death. <laughs> Apparently the warning had little effect on the young man who unearthed it. Uh, he must have only looked at the financial ramifications of the item and disregarded the message. The vase was quickly auctioned off, sans the warning note, for four million Italian Italian lire, or about two thousand five hundred forty bucks U.S., to a pharmacist, we don't know the name of the auction house, the buyer, or the man who made the discovery. The poor pharmacist, who we don't know the name of, died after three months, and his family sold the vase to a doctor, who himself died at the age of thirty-seven, only a few months later. Wow! It was sold once again to an archaeologist who was a collector of artifacts. Weird thing for an archaeologist to do. <laughs> Within three months, the collector, too, had perished. His cause of death was a mysterious infection. The causes of death in the other modern-day victims have not been detailed. The story is continued with one last sale. Information about the last owner is even thinner than the previous ones, except for the fact that he perished less than a month after taking possession. Little is known. The string of deaths did, uh, hadn't gone unnoticed, and the Bassano face became unsellable, and it only took 600 years. Um, <laughs> if we are to believe the stories at this time, a, fam a family member of the last victim was said to have tossed it out a window in an attempt to break free from the curse. Although, although the family was spared further tragedy, the story doesn't end Killing simply. someone below. Yeah. Uh, the vase nearly struck a carabinieri uh, police officer who retrieved it with the intention of finding the person who threw it at him. It was said that the family accepted a fine for littering refused to take the vase back. The Polizia di, uh, di Stato attempted to place the artifact in a museum, but word had already circulated about the vase being cursed. So strong was the belief that no institution would accept it. 
Oh my god. Ralph goes on to say this this fact seems somewhat difficult to comprehend since many of the world's Egyptian artifacts, as well as other things taken from tombs across the globe, are sus- are suspected to be cursed, yet still reside in museums. A few versions of the story tell of one carabinieri who could quote unquote feel the negative energy of the vase and took it upon himself to dispose of it. The hmm. Basano vase was said to be once again reburied in an undisclosed location. Some say in a lead box. Others say in the holy ground of a cemetery. And still other versions say both. Ah. Since then, the vase has not been seen. And frankly, what? We are probably all the safer for it. Woo. Uh, got any thoughts so far? Ah, uh, classic, classic story. <laughs> it's got a beginning. A lot of middle part. <laughs> not sure it's over yet. But no, this is, of course, uh, classic, just sort of legend of a spooky thing. Right. Whether it exists or not, kind of doesn't matter because it's just the concept out there. Right. We get to sit here and kind of go, ooh, can you imagine? What if that vase on my shelf is the Vasano vase? Uh-oh. <laughs> Interested to see where Ralph, not Nader, goes next. <laughs> His article continues, as we can see, the story details change often depending on who is telling them. In researching the history of the vase, there is no shortage of different theories and angles. Many paranormal sites go out of their way to add verbiage to gin up the tale so as to make it seem like a much stronger story than it really is. Not not something that Ralph would do, of course, but uh, others, of course, <laughs> did. Uh, other sites mention a 1989 ex-Yugoslav magazine, but uh, provide no link to the piece or even the name of the magazine. Also, there seems to be only one photograph that is circulated throughout the numerous writings. Here, for your reference, is that photograph. Mm. So it's a vase. It's a vase. And, I mean, it looks uh, kind of foreboding in the black and white. But. Yeah. Funnily enough, that, that particular, there's a couple different versions of the exact same photo in, on different websites, but a lot of them are really ro- low res or have like stuff added to it point out details or whatever and just um, or have different stuff. That was like the cleanest version of the photo I could find, and it just humorously comes from the website for the show warehouse 13 oh that's hilarious which i don't know if you ever watched that but it's a sci-fi original series from um sometime in the 2010s i don't know that um was about it was kind of like a combination of the x-files and indiana jones a little bit yeah or there was actually a a, a, a mini series at one point it's called like the uh, not the room but it was like a, about a hotel room with a bunch of these weird objects that were given these weird powers and stuff but Warehouse 13 is mm. a lot like that. I actually really enjoyed that show. It was very fun. So it's cute that they happen to have this vase re- referenced in there and kind of uh, fun that that was where I got the photo from. But um, Yeah, that is sweet. Uh, Ralph goes on, Still others use the vase as a segue into stories about other cursed or haunted objects. It's often found on top 10 lists of cursed objects. This is very <laughs> true, and I will get into that in just a moment. Oh, yeah, go on. As mentioned at the very start of this piece, the story is thin on details, but in an investigative... In investigative fairness, it makes sense to review the different theories for validity and substance. One of the main glaring things missing from uh, missing from most accounts is the answer to why the Basano vase is cursed. The prevailing thought relies almost completely on the murder versus um, untimely death angle. That account tells the horrific tale of a young woman murdered, but before she passes over into the veil, is said to have whispered in her dying breath that she would have vengeance of some manner. It's a great story, almost Hollywood-esque, but appears to be a fabrication by all accounts. Good uh, detective work. Yes. Mm -hmm. Uh, Most of the major details, such as everyone's name, locations of where the events took place, and who crafted the Basano vase are missing. Also, no motive for murder seems to be evident. Yet despite most of the key components being absent, the story tells of uh, of the woman's dying words and her wish for vengeance. I guess we needed to recap on that. I know exactly, and also it's like it's all predicated on the fact that the fact that the face the vase is haunted. Also, examining the detail with a broader brush, the fact that the Basano vase was made <laughs> uh, was made of silver makes it an unlikely choice for a cursed object. Silver has a reputation of being an element used to stop or ward off evil, not to propagate it. It's always considered to be on the positive side in the battle between good and evil. Wow, magical items spelled with a M-A-G-I-C-K-A-L. Magical items of protection are routinely made of silver. The only thing He's that, got a juggalo. Let me see if there's a picture of his face. I don't think he has any tattoos on his face. The only thing that really discolors self, uh, silver is sulfur, which is associated with many different concepts of evil. 
it would seem that any curse powerful enough to stick to a four-pound silver object must be very powerful and very dangerous. And this I can confirm is true. The only thing that can discolor silver is sulfur and oxygen and time. Uh, <laughs> another angle worth considering is the fact that the Busano vase was very plain in a time when plain was not in vogue. Silver art was crafted in the Renaissance. However, most vases were porcelain and decorated exquisitely with multiple colors and scenes of Italian life at the time. Also, the shape and style of the Bassano vase, based on just the photo, doesn't fit with the time period it was supposedly crafted either. One of the strange features is the lack of a flat bottom. It resembles a bottle vase with a much wider scalloped open, opening at the top, indicating something later than the 15th century and not Italian. The closest comparison might be the Chinese Shiliusun uh, or pomegranate vase from the Qing dynasty in the mid to late 1700s. There are also silver Persian vases, which resemble the Basana vase, but none of them are plain on the exterior and none primarily from the 1400s. Some of the lesser details could be further, exp further investigated, but based on the cursory information gathered for this work, it's clear that the cursed Basana vase has roots to go much deeper than the stories tell. Or not. Or not deeper, or shallower, <laughs> right? like you just said. The backstory could have been a creation of the individual who unearthed it in 1988, or uh, are a variation on other cursed object tales. If it wasn't for the number of quick deaths associated with it in the 1980s, no one would pay attention to it. But the number of deaths connected to it is too many to be coincidental, <laughs> and cannot be simply brushed aside. Two. An important scientific principle, the more times people claim stuff about a thing the more valid those claims become. It's actually not untrue. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, but that's a question of <laughs> philosophical approach rather than objective fact. <laughs> right. um, he concludes, it's obvious that the vase has a negative imprint on it, one that is strong enough to last for several decades. We know that many antiques carry powerful energy, some due to an event in their past which infused them with something terrible, or a small few which have purposefully been weaponized through a curse, hex, or execration. Weaponized what we don't this. know is which type was connected to the Basana vase, and since it's currently missing, we may never know. Feels like the final word from Ralphie Boy here. It is. Wow. So what's your take on the Basana vase? Well, I mean, it's a straight-up story. Yeah. That picture could be of any vase from any time period mm -hmm. ever. It's the only and, photo uh, we can find of it. It's uh, If you search for the Basano vase and do Google, Google image search, it's very hard to find good ones of it. Other than, that's, why, that's why I use the Warehouse 13 one as the best option. It's hilarious. And I mean, Ralph is kind of you know committing crime against true investigative study here, where <laughs> a lot of the things he's talking about, he's sort of... Uh, there are very, very open questions about the phenomenon at hand, and yet mm -hmm. he is sort of accepting them as foregone conclusions. Yes, like saying, as, oh, you know, we. It seems yeah. like a lot of it may be made up, but you know, the fact that so many people died, it, it something must be true. It's not a question whether this vase is cursed or not. It's just like, where did it actually or originate? Or like, is the vase even real? All yeah. people who, he's saying, <laughs> saying, oh, so many people died, so it must be something's up. It's like, but we don't have a name of a single one of those people. So, are any of those people actually real? Um, he mentioned the idea that it's it's so popular a story, like it's such a haunted object that it's made a ton of top ten lists all over the internet. If you search, as I did, for the Basana vase, you find pretty much only top ten lists for sources on it. <laughs> and I found different ones of like some places that are usually more reputable than others. I only chose uh, the particular website I did because it had a longer continuous story that wasn't just a listicle of it. But so painful. Some of the more reputable places that like tend to actually source stuff better, as the sources they link to, they just link to other top ten lists, and so it's all just very circular, like all referencing each other. And uh, yeah, it does seem to be. I don't know when the story originated. I didn't think to take the time to look at how old the oldest reference was on the internet to see how pe long people have been talking about it. But I am fairly confident that the entire thing, beginning to end, is fully made up, including the vase itself. Agreed. It's not Absolutely like an Annabelle agreed. thing where there's actually a an artifact somewhere you could look at and be like, oh, there's there's the cursed thing. It's like, no, we don't even have right. that. So it's all hearsay. Yes. But as we know with conspiracy theories, oftentimes when there is less information, there is more uh, conviction. Yep. That being said, though, I mean, if you have the Pasano <laughs> vase at home, 
let us know and do not send it to us do not send it to us um probably don't put flowers in it uh maybe throw it over your house for good measure just to make sure and uh (laughs) don't hit a police officer when you do exactly classic uh digital legend yeah and that's what i got this week (laughs) sounds good (laughs) well folks there you have it thank you very much for joining us on our goofy journey into some more uh spooky objects i guarantee we'll be revisiting this again in the future because there's just so much fun stuff like that out there there's so many more out there yeah absolutely and we all love hearing about them even if we uh don't fully buy them mm-hmm. that's like because we got to spend our money on other things like toothbrushes and stuff so <laughs> exactly cause of the week i want to bring up it's beginning difficult because i really want to emphasize the importance of mutual aid efforts um mm. but they're kind of not antithetical to, but very different from charity. Kind of the point is solidarity, not charity. Um, and it's meant to be, you know, a small number of people helping out on a very, very localized level. Like, you know, specifically throwing money at one person's GoFundMe who was just evicted mm. from their home and is like homeless in the middle of winter in a pandemic. Stuff like that is way more meaningful and impactful in an immediate sense than mm-hmm. just sending money to a charity. So it's hard to find a one link we can refer people to to say, hey, go support this one thing if you can. So I'm going to just, again, vaguely encourage people to look on Twitter or something. Like, look, Try and investigate the area where you live and see if there are people who are looking for help in some way. People who have a mm. GoFundMe or just even a Venmo. Say, hey, I need help. Just for the, I just need a place to stay for the night. Give me like 50 bucks to just stay in this hotel. Stuff like that can make all the difference for somebody. And if you can find stuff like that, please do so Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. other than that we're just very happy to have you listening if you would like to help us in a totally free way feel free to rate and review the show on uh, especially apple Podcasts. that's the big one that gives us the most uh attention yes indeed and uh on occasion we receive uh very heartily crafted reviews such (laughs) as when we got just recently from michelle anderson which as we're recording on valentine's day i think she can be the official Valentine of the show <laughs> for this review, which I will now selfishly read. <laughs> uh, subject line, this podcast will change your life, which I think we couldn't agree more. Before listening to Super Duperstitious, I was stupid, unemployed, and couldn't get a date to save my life. People would come up to me and ask, what are you doing here? How'd you get into this church again? We thought you were banned. Basically, before this podcast, my life was a terrible, sad mess. Then one day, as I was scrolling through the podcast app on the test Android phone in Walmart, basically the only place that still welcomed me in, I saw the longest word I had ever seen in my life. I was only trying to find Oprah ghost stories, but this word amazed my stupid mind. I thought to myself, whoever can spell and pronounce this word must be a genius. Possibly a wizard, too. Walmart security was really lax back then, so I clicked the first episode and listened right there. My mind came alive. (laughs) Neurons were firing left and right and backwards. The power of Jake and Wyatt's voices alone performed surgery, completely rewiring my idiot brain, made my hair super shiny, and my boobs finally grew, ultimately (laughs) saving my life. Since that fateful day... I was gifted the Mega Millions winning lottery ticket. Now that I'll never have to work another day in my life, I've been free to pursue my passions. I've passed the boards to become the top rodent heart surgeon in the world and performed a life-saving procedure on Puxatani Phil, essentially saving spring. (laughs) I've written the only existing prequel and sequel to the Bible that's been approved by the Pope. Michelle Obama now calls me for fashion advice and follows the diet and exercise plan my doctor brain invented. Most importantly... After becoming the only brand ambassador for the Queen of England, I met the love of my life. Idris Elba and I are officially going to be wed on Chrissy Teigen and John Legend's private island this Valentine's Day. If I didn't listen to Jake and Wyatt's podcast every single day, (laughs) there's no question that I'd be dead on the side of the road. This podcast is the only reason my life isn't in the gutter, and I can guarantee listening to it every day will change your life forever. To Jake and Wyatt, Puxatani Phil and I are eternally grateful. <laughs> the universe brought your melodious voices into my skull. We will maintain your legacies and spread your influence for this millennia unto the next. Namaste. 
So, Michelle, thank you for finally seeing what we're trying to do here. Thank you for finally getting it. Congratulations to you and Idris. Yeah. Um, no, thank you so much. That's an awesome review. Yeah, um, and, and I think we have to say, too, thank you by proxy, Audrey, <laughs> for introducing Michelle to the show. Also, do want to just a smaller thank you as well to Venturian Tail, uh, A. Roman, and Spring Heel Jack for very, very fun reviews as well. We don't want to be too... Uh, self-congratulatory and read every review we get on here but um you guys had some very nice things to say all in back to back it was just like a really nice week pick me up we needed that it was like oh people oh so thank you guys guys and uh yeah we'll see you soon goodbye goodbye